Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 7 of Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verse 7. Genesis 4, verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, as I mentioned in our last Bible study... Genesis 4, 7 is one of the more difficult verses in the entire Bible, and it has been proving difficult to the readers of the Bible, to students of the Bible, for centuries, probably longer than that, maybe thousands of years, because this was first written as God moved Moses many hundreds of years, 1,500 years before the close of the Bible. And now we've been living about 2,000 years since the Bible was completed. So more than likely for millennium, this has been a difficult verse and just impossible almost to understand. It It, it seems no matter how you try to understand it, uh, no matter how you hold it up and turn your head to look at it, twisting your head this way and that way in order to make sense of it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense completely. And, you know, there, there is pretty much a guideline in the Bible that when a verse is difficult, awkward, doesn't seem to make sense, it, it's in that verse that God has hidden spiritual meaning and and spiritual truth and and so it's actually teaching a very important thing and i think that's the case with this verse that if we look at the scripture verse um just historically and we try to understand cain the man as the one god is speaking of that's when it doesn't seem to make sense when God says, and it's uh, mostly the second part of verse 7 that's the problem, and unto thee, speaking to Cain, shall be his desire, and thou shall rule over him. And we we think that it's saying to Cain that sin's desire will be towards Cain, but Cain will rule over him somehow referring back to sin. And and it doesn't make sense because Cain is a wicked man. He's of the wicked one, according to 1 John 3.12. He is an unsaved individual. And shortly he's about to kill his brother. He's he's a murderer. And, and it does not make sense that he will rule over sin. But maybe God helps us here. And again, I'm... I'm going to present this as a possibility, um, and you can check it out. 
Uh, I, it seems to be the only thing that that fits and makes sense with this verse. But before uh, I explain what that is, let's look at the word desire. The word desire, and unto thee shall be his desire. This is the Hebrew word Strong's number 8669, found only three times in the Bible. And the first time was back in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 16. And there it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, here we we understand what God is saying. He's speaking to the woman, to Eve. Her desire will be to her husband, Adam. And he, Adam, will rule over thee, or over Eve, the wife. The husband rules the wife. Spiritually, again, no problem. Eve, a picture of Jerusalem above, of the elect. She came out of Adam's side, who, and Adam, a figure of Christ. And, and so, the elect's desire is to our spiritual husband, Jesus, and he, Jesus, shall rule over the woman, the bride of Christ. Very understandable. And then the second place, it's used as in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, in verse 10. Now, in Song of Solomon, the the whole book is focused on the bride of Christ, of, of the love affair between the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, his, his elect people. So, in Song of Solomon 7, verse 10, it says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Now, we know that the beloved is a word describing the Lord Jesus. It is David. As King David pictures Christ, and David's name means beloved. Beloved is 1730, um, I think, in Strong's Concordance. And David is 1732 in the Hebrew. I am my beloved's, says the bride of Christ. And his desire is toward me. And we saw that Eve's desire is to her husband. And now, in Song of Solomon 7, verse 10, it's letting us know that that the love, the desire, in this spiritual union, the spiritual marriage between Christ and his eternal church, flows both ways. There's love and desire from the body of Christ to there's spiritual bridegroom, and there's love and desire from the bridegroom going towards the bride. So that means the word desire in both Song of Solomon and in Genesis 3.16 involves marriage. It involves marriage, the marriage relationship. A spiritual marriage, actually, uh, is also 
in view, and it is a word that relates to spiritual marriage. Now, the word that's translated as rule, if we go back to first Genesis 4, verse 7, it says, Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Rule is Strong's 49.10. It's the same word that's also in Genesis 3.16, last part of the verse. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Well, that's the way God has established marriage and, and the home. The husband rules the house. The husband rules in the home. He is the authority in the household. He rules, and the wife is to be in submission. Well, that word is also translated, the word rule, as dominion a few times. Let's go to Genesis 37 and verse 8. After Joseph tells one of his dreams to his brothers, it says in, in Genesis 37, 8, And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So the word dominion is the word rule. Someone has authority over the earthly home. Husband has authority over the wife. Spiritually, Christ has authority over his bride, the eternal church. But what could be in view in Genesis 4, 7. Again, let me read the whole verse. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Again, what could possibly be in view. Since we know the word desire relates to marriage, and the word rule also is involved in marriage, well, how could Cain, in, in this statement, be related to marriage? Well, remember what God tells us in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 7, In the first two verses, the Lord lays down a very important truth. It says in Romans 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And there is the the idea of dominion. And then in verse 2, For the woman which hath a husband, is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Now, I want to skip down to verse 4 of Romans 7. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. They should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. 
Now here, um, when, when God says the law has dominion over a man in verse 1, and then he speaks of becoming dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. And, and he had just been, uh, verse 3, he had mentioned that a woman's bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband be dead, she is loosed and free to marry. And, and then God uses that earthly picture to teach the spiritual reality that all men, all mankind, all people are bound or married to the law. God has joined men that he created to the law in a spiritual marriage. And the law has dominion over the man, over mankind, over each person. The only thing that can interrupt that marriage of of the law, uh, having dominion and rule over the man, is if Christ has died for a certain individual, and then by the body of Christ, he's dead to the law. And, and then he can be married to another, who would be Jesus, and that's the spiritual marriage that the Bible tells us about. And so in the Bible, there are two marriages spiritually. There is the marriage of all human beings that, that have ever entered into the world to the law of God. And, and they will remain in that marriage unless Jesus takes their sins and dies for them. And, and through his death, they become dead to the law by the body of Christ and then are free to marry another who is Jesus himself. And, and that would be the second spiritual marriage that's possible, a marriage with Christ. So with every human being, everyone in the world, every person is married, not an earthly marriage. This is speaking spiritually. Every person from the baby uh, conceived in the womb to the oldest person living anywhere in the world and everyone in between, every individual is married. We're either married to Christ through that process of becoming dead to the law and we're married to another or we're married to the law itself. Christ has not interceded on our behalf so any married to the law and so they remain married to the law. But every human being is married to either Christ through salvation or bound to the law and under its dominion. And basically, just like we understand every human being is either saved or unsaved, that's that's saying it another way. We're either married to the law or we're married to Christ, which means saved and unsaved. And God addressed this very thing in the book of Galatians when he spoke of two covenants. Remember that? In Galatians chapter 4, um, in verse 22, for it is written, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now notice, 
two sons. Two sons are going to represent two covenants as well as, as their mothers. But, but, uh, here it, it's speaking of earthly families and, and sons and, and mothers. And yet they represent two covenants. The covenant of grace and the covenant of works. Or the covenant of being saved through Christ and married to him. Or the covenant of remaining married to the law of God. And it says in verse 23, But he who is of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and, and Mount Sinai would identify with the law, and answereth or corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And Isaac is the mother of of the free, of the free woman, and and so forth. But we can see two covenants, two types of people, saved and unsaved, or married to the law, married to Christ. They're, They're all saying the same thing. And, you know, I think God has given away who Cain represents when he said in Jude... In Jude verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain rather than the way of Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way of Cain is the way of attempting to please God through works, and works is trying to keep the law trying to keep the law to get right with God, trying to be obedient to the commands of God. It says in Hebrews 11, concerning Cain and Abel, let's read it again. In Hebrews 11, one verse, verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. Now, notice again, Abel, by faith, which means by Christ, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And we know that Cain also offered sacrifice. Two sacrifices, two covenants, two types of people, two spiritual marriages. But Abel's sacrifice that he offered was more excellent. Why was it more excellent? Well, you know, we're helped through the use of this Greek word translated more excellent. It's also found, the same Greek word, in Mark chapter 12, In Mark 12, and I'll read two verses, verses 32 and 33. It says in Mark 12, 32, And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, 
and there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength. Now, what does that mean? If you love God with all your heart, understanding, with all your soul and all your strength, it means you've become born again and received a new heart and a new spirit and you have a new resurrected soul. And now, now let me continue in Mark 12, 33, with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than the same Greek word translate is more excellent is translated as more than to have this love of God and your neighbor in your heart, uh, which is only possible through salvation is more than it's more excellent than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. There it is. There it is. The thing that Abel offered was he was already saved and his sins paid for. He was already a new creature, already a child of God with a new born-again soul when he offered sacrifice. And and whatever he offered, and, and again, he may not have put much effort or time into his offering, He knew God required an offering, so he presented it, yet he presented it in in a spiritual relationship to God that was acceptable because he had no sin upon him since Jesus had already paid for all his sin. And, And so that was more excellent than Cain's. Cain's offering and sacrifice, no matter how much effort. And let, let's, let's give Cain the benefit of the doubt and say he put forth tremendous effort. He, and care and, and concern and he wanted, he, 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 uh, uh, just wanted to please God as much as possible through this offering and, and he put a lot of himself into it. And yet, what's the problem? His heart. His heart. He doesn't love God with all of his heart and mind and soul and understanding. And he doesn't love his neighbor as himself because he's not saved. He's not born again. He he has that desperately wicked heart, a heart of stone. And, and so God is not pleased with the offering. He does not accept it. King David said, and again, we mentioned this before in Psalm 51, verse 16, For thou, speaking to God, desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. That reveals that all along, all along with all the commandments, all the stipulations concerning sacrifice in the Bible, God did not want that for satisfaction. The the law of God did not want that for satisfaction and was never satisfied. It never took away sin, no matter how many animals they slew. But it was always designed to 
um, to point to the real sacrifice, the truly acceptable sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And that's why the next verse in Psalm 51, verse 17, says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And that begins with Jesus, but it's also the character, uh, uh, an apt description of the heart that God equips his saints with after they receive that new resurrected heart. And so that's the acceptable sacrifice. The more excellent sacrifice is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that Abel possessed. Cain did not. So God was not delighted. And, and, and he let it be known. Well, this sets up Cain and Abel as a figure, each one of their respected covenant, of their respected spiritual marriage. One of grace and, and uh, of the free, the other of bondage, of, uh, like Hagar, identified with Mount Sinai and the law, Cain, the way of Cain. And so here, let's understand Cain as representing the law, and the law has dominion over man, the unsaved. So in verse 7, if God speaking to Cain, representative of the law, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. That is, if a man, according to the law, according to works, keeps the whole law, he'll be accepted with God. And then God continues, And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. If you fail to keep the whole law, even in one point, you're guilty of all. You're convicted of sin. And then it goes on to say, And unto thee, that's Cain, representing the law, shall be his desire. Man's desire in the spiritual marriage, just like Eve's desire to her husband or the beloved's desire to his bride, um, the, the desire of man in his spiritual marriage to the law, unto thee shall be his desire. Man desires to get right with God through keeping the law. And then in the last statement, and thou, Cain, representative of the law, shall rule over him, have dominion over the man, just as Romans 7 tells us in the first verse. The law has dominion over the man as as long as man lives, unless Christ intercedes and and delivers him from that, that state of bondage to the law so he can marry another who is Jesus. Now, I think that's, how we understand this verse, everything seems to fit together once we look at it from the deeper spiritual perspective, then God's statements to Cain fall into place. They fall into place, and looking at it any other way, they they just don't seem to fall into place. Uh, but, uh, but again, uh, I'm presenting this as a possibility, but the more... Um, you look at it, and the more you see the words that God used in their relationship to marriage, 
then I think it's a, a very good possibility that this is the answer for what God has written in Genesis 4, verse 7. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.